Welcome back to Epilogues, Unpacking the Weekly Haftarah. You are listening to Rabbi Yaakov Trump. This week we are going to be covering Parshas Chukas, the portion of Chukas and the Haftarah that follows it. This Haftarah actually is sometimes eclipsed when Chukas and Balak are read together, and this Haftarah is not read then. It is a very beautiful Haftarah coming from Sefer Shoftim, Perik Yud Aleph, Pasuk Aleph, Tulam Gimel. It is a long Haftarah. And it it form it is the formulates a very fascinating story which relates to our parsha. As always, we begin with the question: Is why is this haftara of our parsha? It should be patently obvious as soon as we go through it. Let's take a quick look at the overview, and then we'll try to get some points of points to ponder to understand the greater context. Our haftara starts off talking about a person by the name of Yiftach. Yiftach Hagiladi from the, the area of Gilad. Gilad is on Transjordan East. The east side of the Jordan River, which today is known as the country of Jordan, but was Israel in the days of Tanakh. And Yiftach is a, we are told, is a very strong person, but he was the son of an Isha Zona. We'll have to see what that means. But um, um, Yiftach was, uh, um, was born into to, uh, a person by the name of Gilad, and, uh, and the rest of the children rejected him. They uh, they pushed him out. Yeah, they said you're not going to inherit with us, and so he fled or re- ran um, re- refuge from his brothers to a Eretz Tov, to this good land. And he gathers a band of people, an Ashimarikim, empty people. So he kind of sort of lives a rejected lifestyle. However, a number of years later, when the, the nation of Ammon, Ammon living on the east bank of the Jordan as well, started attacking the nation of Israel, they turned to Yiftach and they sent a delegation, the Ziknei Gilad, the elders of Gilad, and they turned to him and they say, please, can you help us lead a delegation? You're obviously a very powerful person, you have military expertise, please help us in dealing with Ammon. Yiftach is insulted by this and he says, but you hated me, you, you rejected me, and now, just when you need me, now, you, now you're going to call me? So they explain, no, we, we, we really, you'll be a, a, a leader to us, and you'll fight against Ammon and we'll, we'll accept you. And uh, if if you uh, if you do this to us, and he does accept the terms, uh, the terms of the of the agreement, and they make him a rosh katzin, he's a head and a leader, um, a military leader, and so then Yiftach now takes the seat of power. So we've had this rejection, this recruitment, and now finally the actual the actual battle that that ensues. So first thing Yiftach does is he sends messengers to the king of Ammon, who's encroaching militarily, and he says Mali Valach. Why are you fighting with me? What, you, what is it that you have to do to fight with me? So the king of Ammon said uh, to, the, uh, to the messengers of, uh, of Yiftach, because you, you took my land when you le- went out of Egypt all those years ago, you, uh, you came and you attacked all this land, you took, you took control of it, and so now I'm seeking what was re- originally mine. So Yiftach then sends messengers back and says, that is not true at all. We did not take your land at all. Rather, when we went, came up from the land of Egypt, we went along the area of the, we went through the Yamsov, the Sea of Reeds. We came to this area called Kadesh, which is southeast of Israel. And Israel tried to send messengers to first the king of Edom to go through the land. He didn't, he he didn't allow us to. And then we, uh, and, and then we went around the area of Edom and we came to Moab and to Ammon and we asked if we could go through the land and they refused. Then finally we went up further north to, to the outskirts of the land of the Amorites under the king of Sichon, the king of Heshbon, and he did not let us and we fought, and sent out a war host against us. And so we fought against him and we conquered all of his land. We, we, uh, we inherited everything that belonged to Sichon up, there, up to that point and, um, and, and that included the area that you are talking about now. Um, 
That's that. That's the argument he makes, and he says, and then he adds a little bit of a threat where he says, "Hatov tov ata mi balak ben sipar melech moav harov rav imi yisrael nilcham bom." Are you any better than the balak, the king of Moab, who fought against Israel? And look what happened to him. Um, so it, it, this this is the way he he frames this. And then at the end, we 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 hear about how the king of Ammon does not listen to these claims. He rejects these the, the, these requests. And the, the battle ensues. Yiftach goes into battle. The spirit of Hashem descends upon Yiftach. He is inspired to be this leader. And he fights them. As, as he about, he's about to fight them, he makes a fateful um, neder, a vow in which he says that the first thing that comes out, if I succeed, the first thing that comes out of our doors will be um, a ola, as a sacrifice to Hashem. And off he goes into battle and he destroys the Ammonites. Um, for, and it captures many, many cities and humbles them for many years to come. This is this the story of our parak. A few basic points to ponder. Number one is what is the context of the story? So in order to appreciate this, you really need to read Shoftim Perak Yud, the the tenth parak of Sefer Shoftim, in order to understand this. You see, the pattern of Sefer pattern of Sefer Shoftim is that Israel um, will will reject. They're serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu, serving Hashem, and they become assimilated into the pagan culture around them, serving their gods. Then, then those nations um, are able to gain power and to subjugate the nation of Israel as a result of their rejecting HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They then, in their suffering, call out to Hashem, and Hashem sends them a savior. That savior is a shofet who saves them for a number of years, and then the pattern starts itself again, and then they go, they return to complacency and into the service of the nations around them. That's what the the general pattern is of Sefer Shoftim. This happened a number of times, so much so that when Israel starts serving all these other uh, these other entities, which the Gemara Beitzah tells us is it wasn't just a hedging like a, sh- a shudfus, like serving God and these other entities, but only the other entities this time. They turn to Akash Baruch when Ammon encroaches upon them, and Hashem says the very fateful words, which are. Hashem says to them, you know what? Call out to all the Canaanite gods you've adopted, and see if they save you. So Hashem does not listen to their prayers. He leaves them and he abandons them to their own. And that's where our parak begins. So you'll notice that our parak is very much human oriented. It is about the um, people people taking the initiative because Akash Baruch Hu is no longer taking the initiative over here. Why is Akash Baruch Hu so harsh at this point in time. So Rashi points out that there's already been, according to the Gemara in Beitzah, there's already been seven levels, or seven times that they've been saved, and seven times they've betrayed HaKadosh Baruch and HaKadosh Baruch was saying, you know, <laughs> how far does it go? How far does it go that you can't learn the lesson of this pattern? Um, the the Gemara in Beitzah talks about how there's this this fruit called a turmus, which is a, 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 a type of fruit, a, a vegetable, which if it's very, very, it's very bitter, but if it's soaked seven times, then it can be edible. Now HaKadosh Baruch was saying to them, you're not even as good as this vegetable because you can't, after being soaked seven times, you aren't, you, you, you aren't any less bitter. The Mamla Ayaz points out that uh, part of the critique is, is, that the, the leaders are, is that the leaders don't seem to be changing the people because they always revert back. The leaders are Osniel, Ayod, Shamgar, Devorah, Gidon, Avimelech, and Yair up to this point in time. Okay, now moving into the actual part of the Torah itself, beyond the context, is he the reason why he seems to be taunted and ultimately rejected by his brothers are because he is a Beni Shazona, he is a, 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 the, 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 the son of a Zona. What does that mean precisely? So uh, the Radak quotes three options. Number one is a prostitute, a woman of the night. 
Um, and the other one is, as Radak says, is a Pilegesh. She was a, a, not a full wife. The other one is is a tirgo, is a innkeeper um, as well. Those are three options as to what it, what it is. Um, so the question would be, so why do we need to know about this? Why is this significant? So I guess it, part, it plays into the story of why he was rejected. But it could be a little more than that. The Gemara does say, Yiftach bedorah kishmul bedorah, quoting the Pasuk in Sefer Shmuel, that, um, that, that ultimately the leader of Yiftach is going to be like, in his generation, like Shmuel was in his generation. And to appreciate that Yiftach, what came from a more complex background, is important to appreciate the fact that that's what the Gemara means. Shmuel came from a pristine family, and Yiftar came from a less than pristine family, but they are the same in terms of what the generation deserves in terms of leadership as well. Um, it is worthwhile noting that there is a Rabbeinu Bechayot found at the end of Parshas Masay, where he describes the last mitzvah in Parshas Masay over there is what's called Bas Yerashas Nachla, which is that for the first generation of entering into the land of Israel, that there was a prohibition on girls marrying out of their tribe if they did not have any brothers, like the Benos Tzlovchad, in order to maintain the general the, the general tribal uh, ownership so there shouldn't be too much interchange between the different tribes. And that the, that was for the first generation. It was a, mit, a mitzvah for one generation. However, the Rebbe the Mechaia points out that it could be that that mitzvah had a resonance, it had a echo throughout the generations, even though it really wasn't extant there afterwards, but it was seen as a bad thing to marry out of one's tribe. And it sounds like that the, 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 what's being described over here is that Yiftach's mother came from a different tribe, and that's why the brothers were scorning him, even though the mitzvah was no longer extant, but it, it, it was a taboo, and that's what's being described over here as well. Now, it sounds like he goes to this Eretz Tov. What does it mean, Eretz Tov, exactly? So it could be the Red Duck says that the Red Tov might be the landowner, like Boaz's relative is called Tov as well. But the Mam Noez points out that he went to, uh, to Chutzaretz. He went to the diaspora where he would no longer be part of the responsibility of Trumas and Maestros, of the tithes and the donations given to the coin. And the reason is because to bring those to, to bring up the different types of Maestros to Yerushalayim, the brothers would bar him access, saying you don't really belong to our tribe. And he felt rejected, therefore he went to a place where you no longer had to bring Trumas and Maestros. Obviously a bitter rejection as well. Um, and who are these folks who attach him to themselves to, to Yiftach? Yiftach seems to be a very powerful person. Right, says it sounds like they, he had a band of plunderers, no good, no good folk. Rekim, Hashem Rekim, who are att- attaching themselves to him. It's uh, it is interesting that the, you see other people in Tanakh who do this. There is Avimelech, not to 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 um no, not too many prokim back is one of the shoftim who also attaches himself to a complicated group of people. Um, and uh, in this case, he uses that military power for a good thing, but in other cases, not as easily. What is the negotiation he has with his, the Ziknei, um, the Zikhanim of Gilad? So it, it sounds like at the beginning, it's a, a, as uh, the Tzavresh points out, it's, the question is, is how, what kind of leader? Is it a Katsin or a Rosh? Is it a leadership or just military leadership? He wanted both, and they, they relent on that. That's what it sounds like the negotiation is. The Mamloyes himself says that, that, that what they're essentially saying is, we rejected you because we said you are a son of Isha Zona. You're not part of the, the fabric of Israel and the family. And they say, well, if you are really part of Israel, then you will waive your disappointment in us to show that you really are part of Israel. So it's sort of, they're using um, his middos, his characteristics against him as well. Finally, what, what is the argument about land at the end over here? So just to appreciate how this works. And this is really the reason why this is our Haftarah, for a very simple reason, is that the, if you read the last Aliyah in Parshas 
Chukas, you'll see that there's this war that is had um, with Sichon, uh, the east bank of the Jordan. Sichon is an Amorite king, so is Og is an Amorite king. They live to the north of Ammon and Moab. Ammon and Moab are, no, no, are not able to be attacked by Israel. HaKadosh Baruch Hu specifically tells the nation of Israel, you cannot attack um, Ammon and Moab, they are part of the family. Um, and therefore, when they are rejected access to Ammon and Moab, they, attack, they are able to attack um, uh, Sichon. However, the Aliyah tells us in the Torah, that Cheshbon, which is a city which sounds like one of the cities under contention, that Sichon had conquered a number of the cities of Ammon from beforehand, which meant that when Israel conquered um, Sichon and his cities, the cities that they, they conquered from this Amorite king were actually originally Ammonite cities. And that's where the confusion comes in. What the king of Moab in Arahav Torah is claiming is, is that Israel took their cities. That's not true at all. In fact, Sichon took their cities and Israel were able to take it from Sichon because, so because they were able to attack the Amorites and not the Ammonites. And that's what happened. What is interesting about the Torah is that Yiftach is making very clear over here about the danger of revisionist history. Many times, if you keep saying a lie and you say it again and again and again, people believe you. As an example, in our time, a day, a day and age, um, the Palestinian Authority continues to reject the notion that there was a temple, a Migdash, a, a Jewish temple on Har Habayas. Um, and they keep repeating that lie so, many so much so that the, the UN um, issued a resolution which the US did not veto that the Western Wall, in fact, is a Palestinian her heritage site. If you just keep lying enough, then people believe you. And that's what the king of Ammon is trying to do. You took our territory. Not really, actually. The Amorites took your territory. We took the Amorite territory. And that's a very big difference. If you have a bone to pick, go and speak to the Amorites. That's, that, that, that's what seems to be going on in our Torah. And the Torah is emphasizing the danger of revising that history as well. Um, Yiftach does offer um, also a, a very important uh, number of arguments. He also makes a threat, saying that we'll, if you do attack us, we'll do to you as we did to Balak, because you come from the same sort of family. And, um, and also he argues that if it is God-given, if God gave it to us, then who are you to argue about it? And, uh, and then he also makes the argument is, is that if this is such a problem to you, then you should have um, come to the, the international court a number of years ago, but now you're suddenly coming now. Clearly, this is not the issue that, you, that, that is at hand. Finally, one last point to notice is what is unique about the leadership of Yiftach. You'll notice a few interesting things is that is Yiftach is the first Shofet not to be chosen by Kodesh Baruch Hu, but by the people themselves. And Hashem then gives him the Ruach Hashem. So this is because they were in the situation where they were rejected by Kodesh Baruch Hu. They had to take initiative and Kodesh Baruch Hu ultimately agrees with their choice afterwards by giving him the Ruach Hashem. The Mamla Oyes points out that this is really the parallel to the context of the previous parak, which is that the nation of Israel rejected Yiftach like the Kelahav deal, they rejected Hashem. And in order to make things better, they need to go and they need to send a delegation, they need to fix things up in order for Yiftach to fight for them. And that the, the metaphor, uh, of course, is referring to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is how many times do we reject Hashem from our lives and need to invite him back so that he's part of our lives as well. With this, we conclude. In the meantime, have a wonderful and meaningful day and a beautiful Shabbat.